Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pat and Rose Show. Today, what do cochlear hydrop Meniere's disease, benign hepatonia, the television show Arrow, growing up with hearing deficits, and medical social work all have in common? Well, the answer is Jonathan Cannonizato, and we're going to talk about it on this episode. Oh, first of all, the, the listeners can't see me. You can see me because we're doing this via Skype, and I'm that's, I mean, nothing about what you said is funny, but you caught me so off guard with that intro. I'm holding back the tears, trying not to laugh because nothing, nothing is funny that happened to the guy. But that intro caught me off guard. Yes, we we, we touched up, in different areas. We did. We caught up with John. He is somebody that reached out to us at our email address, which, by the way, shameless plug: Pat and Rose Show at CrossFit.com. Hit us up with ideas, guest ideas, anything like that. And he did that. Shared his story a little bit. And just, I mean, can you say the word average Joe or does that consider like a hate crime or somebody's going to be upset with me if I say average Joe? But anyway, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I just, I don't think, I think it's a misnomer because he's anything but average in a lot of ways. Right. But I think he, people would be like, okay, who is this Jonathan guy? I've never heard of him. He's not an affiliate owner. He's not Dan Bailey. He's not like whatever it has. He's not a magistrate. He's not a magistrate. He's an individual like most of us living his life. He's had some ups. He's had some significant downs and blows come his way. And like most people in the world, he's he's fought back and um, he's doing good things. And so to be able to tell a story of a member like him in the community was it was a very cool episode. It was a very cool episode. And yeah, not surprisingly, uh, the, the ties that bind us are obviously the, the CrossFit community and uh, the way that it's helped him surmount some of these um, adversities that he's been faced with. I failed to do it uh, at the end of the interview, which I typically do. So right now I'm going to tell you how you can reach out to Jonathan if you have similar uh, afflictions, if you have something you want to ask him about. Maybe you're a coach. Uh, if, if any of this resonates with you, he's on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Jonathan Canonizado. That's C-A-N-O-N-I-Z-A-D-O. And you can find him on Instagram at John Can Run Fit. That's just J-O-N-C-A-N. R U N fit. We go all over the place in this one and we talk about, uh, you know, he had some very heavy life, um, challenges like we mentioned, but he's really turned it around. He's internalized it and he's got a, a really cool way of paying it forward in my opinion. And my favorite part, not to steal your thunder because your middle name is community. We know that, <laughs> but what he had to say about, you know, he talks about the, the benefits of diet and exercise dealing with some of the ailments that he's had and how that has helped. But, the power of the community to, you know, you don't think about somebody that maybe can't communicate well with others because of a loss of hearing or whatnot. They feel a bit isolated. You know, they don't go out and socialize. And that aspect just received such a huge gain from the CrossFit community that it just warmed my heart. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this conversation. Myself, Pat, and Jonathan Cannonizato. Well, uh, yeah. so the way the way that we roll is just kind of like we're doing now, just a rolling start. But um, we're really mm -hmm. kind of dive right into it because you, uh, otherwise you miss all the good stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, oh, exactly. I even try not to not to talk too much before we get rolling. But um, keep it genuine. Keep it genuine. Yeah. So um, I think I think the most important part first, Jonathan, is you're you're unique in the sense that you reached out with your story. You know, we, we always solicit stories from the community. We're like, hey, tell us about uh, yeah, yeah. Are, what you're all about. You're one of the first people to kind of take us up on the offer and really and put it out there. Um, mm -hmm. What what kind of, uh, I don't know, what inspired you to reach out? Well, I mean, I've been doing CrossFit for the past two and a half years, and then a lot has changed in my life because of it. And I was just trying to find a way of like, you know, I did my little Instagram thing of just kind of posting, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a medical social worker that just, just happens to do CrossFit. And, you know, like, so a few people just kind of knew and then my close friends and family, but I just wanted to find some way of kind of reaching out to the rest of the CrossFit community and kind of letting, you know, letting them know my story at least. Cool. So, um, that's, yeah, that's what just inspired me to kind of reach out and then seeing other CrossFitters Instagram and stories and, um, blogs of how it's changed their lives. I was like, okay, hopefully I can add my voice to the mix. So yeah, we're, I'm we're certainly glad you did. And, um, I mean, reading your story, I appreciate you gave us a, a, a good bit of detail. And it, you've been up against yeah. it, man. Like, you've had quite a bit of adversity in your life starting from age zero, right? Like, uh, Yeah, yeah, exactly. About, yeah. Tell me about when you were born, um, you had a genetic um, – tell me, tell me so, I don't even know how to say it. 
yeah. So, so when I was when I was born, I, uh, I had I was born of a C-section birth from my mother, and then uh, I just had a wealth of health issues throughout my entire life. I have like medical records the size of three binders, unfortunately. Jeez. And um, it, it got to a point where uh, it was benign hypotonia, but um, the doctors were just misdiagnosing it all the time and telling my parents, oh, your, your son's going to be uh, mentally disabled, retarded. He's, he's going to be you know, a few steps behind. Um, we don't see him ever getting to high school or having that type of productive quality of life. This, is, this, oh, wow. this is during misdiagnosis time or this is just during misdiagnosis. Now, I think between and before um, knowing that I was going to be speaking to you guys, I just called my dad up and be like, listen, I need to know everything what's going on medically that I didn't know about that you kind of shielded me from. And it was kind of hard for him to kind of share because he still doesn't even like talking about this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say all those misdiagnoses must have put your parents through the ringer. Oh, no. By, by far, like it put them through the ringer. It tested their faith and um, it, it kind of reaffirmed their strength as, as, you know, as a married couple and also as parents. And yeah, it was, it was to the point that each time a, a new hit would come along the way throughout my entire life, they took it hard. And even to recently when I lost my hearing, it, it hit them hard. So yeah, but when I was a kid, between the ages of zero and five, it was always that unknown of, we don't know what's gonna happen. Wow. We don't know, is, it, is he, are we gonna be um, taking care of him for the rest of our lives? Is this something that he's not gonna be able to be able to do the things that other kids are doing? So it was always that touch and go there. But they did their best to make sure that I had a normal child as much as possible, taking me to Disneyland, doing all the, the things that a normal kid would do. So you said the initial diagnosis was inaccurate. So what was what was the initial accurate diagnosis? The accurate diagnosis was benign hypotonia. So basically, it was just kind of uh, it's a disorder of muscular tone. Okay. So I I had I was born. I wish I could show you baby pictures of me, but I had a big head. But then the muscle tone of the rest of my body was just abnormally small. And then, um, but it presents itself kind of like muscular dystrophy or uh, cerebral palsy. So that's why, okay. because of those big diagnoses, it was just kind of going back and forth of what exactly do I have? But it was, I was a late bloomer to everything because okay. of that. Yeah, I was going to say, dig, dig into that a little bit. So so um, I have a six and a seven-year-old. So draw, okay. draw a picture for me of what, what do you mean by that as a late bloomer? Um, if people thought, if this looked like MS or it looked like cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. um, when you're, when other kids are starting to walk, you're, I mean, were you wheelchair bound? Were you? Um, I was semi crawling. Um, and at the time, like my parents are immigrants from the Philippines. Okay. We didn't have the resources that everybody else did. So I, I can't really, I'm not sure I had a wheelchair or anything, but I just know that I was carried around a lot. Okay. I didn't start crawling until I was maybe three or four. My parents said that I didn't start really walking. Okay. Until I was, I think four or five. Wow. Oh, um, wow. And in terms of speech, I was way behind. And uh, my parents said that when I was a kid, I barely talked, barely cried. But then as I got older, they, they can't shut me up. So, um, <laughs> no, so you, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Well, I, clearly, there's a happy ending to this already because you're yeah, uh, already. people can't see you at home who are listeners. There's no video component. But uh, you look like, like you've been working out, right? Obviously, we're getting your CrossFit experience. And you speak really well. So there's, there's a happy ending. But um, that childhood years must have had quite an effect on you. Oh, yeah, big time. And it, it stunted everything else. So medically, just kind of trying to get over all those physical hurdles, doing the physical therapy. Um, I remember when I was like maybe eight, my dad took me to physical therapy. And then common sense would think the simplest thing in the world. There's this, um, There was this board that was up on the wall, kind of like a pegboard that we use now for CrossFit, but it was just a weird rung thing where you have a ring in your hand and then you try to reach up as high as you can and kind of um, put the ring on the peg and you're trying to stand or as much as I could stand at that time and I got frustrated because I couldn't I couldn't put it up to the first ring like and the first ring would be about maybe just above eye height and okay. I couldn't do it and it was just frustrating or doing a crab walk hmm. just those types of things at like age so I mean so is it safe to say you know when the quote-unquote for lack of a better way to say it you know, the normal kids are out at the playground running around or throwing the football or, or doing whatever. Were you not physically capable of participating in those kind of activities? Not to the extent that they could. Um, I, I'd go in the backyard and I'd try to, you know, um, throw a ball or anything like that. But I, I just wouldn't have the stamina to 
really throw hard or really, you know, I saw the kids playing soccer or touch football and I couldn't do that because I, my body was just too fragile at that point. And with my parents, they were just kind of concerned of, okay, what he, what can he and can't he do? Yeah. And so, yeah, um, I, I, my dad was telling me that, uh, no, no, it was my mom. She was telling me that one time uh, we were visiting my godparents' place um, and uh, my god sister, uh, Mia, she's just a little younger than me, but she was she was the athlete, the super athlete. Did softball, anything, you name it. And she was climbing up a tree. I was crying because I couldn't follow her. I wanted to climb up the tree, be as just as active. And here's this little eight, nine year old crying just because I can't, you know, climb it. And so, what ended up resulting is just to make me feel better. We'll go into a room and we'll play Yoshi's Island on the Nintendo because that's what I could do. I, I, <laughs> and so. And it started that. You, you think I would become a gamer, but that just didn't happen. I was say, dude, what's your yeah, what's your high score? But uh, did, no, 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 <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. Well, I blame my mother for that. She never bought me a console. Oh, ever. Would send me your send me your phone number. I got strong words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm curious. You know, as a kid, if this is your life, you know, at what level of awareness did you have? So, for example, were you just, you know, like some kids are, just you couldn't do these things, but you're just full of that wonderful ignorance and self-confidence, so you just tried and, and never thought more about it? Or were you aware that there was this difference between you and some of the other kids and that for, forced you to kind of withdraw and kind of have some questions about what was going on with you? Um, a little bit of both. Just kind of the environment that my parents kind of put me around. Um, they wanted me to try a lot of things as much as possible, but when once we hit a wall of physical limitation, you know, they would do their best to kind of, you know, talk to me and say, John, we know you want to do this, but just be careful. If we see that it's going to put you in any harm, we're taking you out. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was their call as parents. And so, um, they had me try karate classes and then they had me try, you know, soccer, all these things that I wanted to try. And then when a physical limitation, I, I, I wouldn't do it. And then I, I would, it's safe to say I was the worst soccer player ever just because I was, <laughs> you've never seen me. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was afraid of getting hit by the ball and, um, yeah. So, but it was yeah. To their, just to their credit, like to well, you know, I joke about the the video game console. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. We um, interviewed a young lady who was born with no arms and no legs, mm -hmm. and she is now a prolific both rugby player and CrossFit athlete. And she credited her awesome. parents with a lot of that. And she said it was mm -hmm. due to tough love early in life, when they, you know, frustration struck and she couldn't whatever you name it. Obviously, you can imagine those questions, yeah. and you've been through your own. Uh, whatever spoon cereal into your mouth, but they made her go through the fire and figure it out because, you know, later in life, like it seems as you are, uh, she's become a very capable human being to, to say the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I give all the credit to where I am right now because of my parents, I wouldn't be in the, in where I am at right now, career wise, quality of life wise without their support. Yeah. And so yeah, much credit to them. And we'll, we'll get into what, what's kind of happening right now in just a moment. But mm -hmm. I imagine you're 31 years old. Yeah. Uh, you've got a master's degree. There's there's a lot of mm -hmm. people faced with similar challenges who might uh, be depressed, negative. Um, you know, they're just probably just a tip. Lost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lost. Um, do you are, you are you one of these people who kind of practices optimism? Does it come naturally to you? Do you um, how do you kind of keep it, to keep the head clear? Or were there dark times? There were dark times for sure. I mean, um, what was interesting is that, you know, I, you know, we start this off with my childhood and kind of the stuff that I kind of uh, was able to kind of overcome. And then there was kind of a, a good area between college and then starting my career where, you know, I thought, okay, I finally surpassed all this. I'm in a good place. I can, I was going to try to be just like any other average college student. I was going to go to the parties. I was going to go ahead and, you know, mm -hmm. I was hoping that um, just like how everything's kind of in a formula go to college, meet the girl of your dreams, get married, do all these things. I was going to do it. But then when you get hit with, okay, just out of getting your master's, you get sick. Your hearing drops to the point that you're deaf. You can't hear anything. And then there's the, there's that dark period of, am I going to have a career? Am I going to be able to function? Cause I've been hearing somewhat to that point. And then as an adult, now you're faced with the fact of if I'm deaf, I haven't this whole new hurdle to climb of learning how to function without my hearing yeah. and then being able to you know 
learn sign language function in just regular society. Ordering a cup of coffee when you can't hear is the most daunting thing in the world. I dare you to try it. Just put earplugs and go to Starbucks. Good God, it's hard. We're gonna we're gonna get there for sure because I I have so many questions about that. But I just I'm hoping you can educate me on my ignorance. So you you go to college, you go to Eastern Washington University, you walk away in 2011 with a master's in social work, and then you said you get sick and you lost your hearing. Like I just didn't know that's how that worked. What does that mean? You you got sick and you lost your hearing. So leading, yeah, leading, there's a long story to that, but leading up to graduation from my master's degree, um, my hearing was slowly starting to drop. Now, by this point, I started wearing hearing aids again. And um, you, again, just so that sorry, I, was this lifelong? Like at some point as a child, what's going on? I was born deaf in my right ear. Okay. So okay. I, I couldn't hear in my right ear. I was told to wear hearing aids through my teen years. Like any adolescent, I was insecure about the fact that I had these big, huge hearing aids in my ear and mm-hmm. wanted to try to be as normal as possible in an annoying way. And then um, I wouldn't wear my hearing aids. And looking back on it now, if I wore my hearing aids in high school, I would have been a much better student. I would have you know, put more and listened more. Um, but yeah, um, didn't wear the hearing aids, functioned okay. And then when I got to college, the hearing started dropping a little more on my left ear, which is the only good ear, and then started wearing hearing aids to the point that in 2011, my hearing was just dropping, and then I graduated. So I figured that was the norm of where my hearing was going to be, and I was going to try to function as much as possible. And then so what ended up happening was um, I was working one day. I wasn't feeling well, and by this point, I'm a per diem social worker at Harrison Medical Center just working. Um my ears were ringing off the hook just, just the entire day. It hurt. And um, I told my supervisor, listen, I know that you guys want me to go with you guys to lunch and have the kind of group bonding thing, but let me just go to a quiet room. I need to take off my hearing aids. I need to rest. And Harrison, um, the people at Harrison were so accommodating. They helped get me like the, the phone set to amplify the sound so I can hear people on the phone. Um, gave me a special microphone that connects to my hearing aids to my chest so that I can hear patients when I'm talking to them. Wow. And um, so I had all that gear, but even that wasn't helping. And then my supervisor was like, okay, just go home. And I did. Then after that, um, throughout the entire night, my, hearing, my ears were ringing. I had a headache. I just wasn't feeling well, wanted to vomit. The next morning, um, I figured out I'll, I'll just rest and go to work the next day. Normally, at this point, I was living with my parents, and my dad would kind of walk up the stairs, and I could faintly always hear his footsteps on the steps so that I'd know, okay, my dad's coming. He's going to poke and wake me up. And we worked at the same hospital at this point because he's a PA. And um, so, you know, we were going to, I think, carpool it to work together. And then he was trying to wake me up. I didn't hear him. He kicked the bed. I wouldn't hear him. And then he was shaking me and yelling to the top of his lungs, and I couldn't hear him. And I told him, Dad, I, can't, I, I cannot oh, no. hear you at all. And that's when it started. That started the whole journey from, from then to where I am now of, and could, I, could I still be able to work as a social worker? So. And again, more ignorance on my part, you already had hearing aids. So did you pop them in that morning? And once you popped them back in, you could hear? Or that didn't do the no, trick? No, it didn't do anything. Oh, I put wow. the hearing aids on. I couldn't hear anything at all. It was... Um, even. Uh, like I'm just seeing the facial expression of my dad yelling to the top of his lungs and he never yells. He never yelled at me or anything like that. And he, he was yelling to his young, I could see kind of, you know, the fear in his eyes and so on and so forth that this finally hit the fan. I'm now finally deaf. And then so, cause it had kind of um, hanging over your head. You kind of, you, you knew it to be a possibility. It, it was a possibility. Um, we just didn't know before that happening what the timeline would be. I just figured, okay, um, my dad came up with this you know, term noise conservation. He, he wanted me to not go into environments where I could lose my hearing, like going to concerts or going to anything else. And um, he, he kind of started doing that after making the mistake of bringing me to a Bon Jovi concert. So um, it was great concert, but it was too loud. So oh, no. um, yeah, but up to that point and then after it just nothing and then it was like that for a good year a good year of not here how old are we at this point 25 by this point uh by this point i'm 24 okay 24 yeah i gotta i mean (laughs) 
you you tell you I'm sure you told the story a bunch of times and you're pretty stoic about it. I have I told Pat this before we started the the show. Um, there's a family in our circle, like close friends of ours, and the mom is going through this currently, and she's mm-hmm. had she's had some stuff. Um, in her in her past, you know, and uh, they they reckon it's something to do with autoimmune, but she's going through the diagnosis process right now, and I okay. can only imagine how scary it is, especially for someone. I suppose being deaf in one ear, you tell me, did you grow up with any kind of sign language or any kind of method of communication? No. Did you have to learn that at 24 years old? Uh, so, and that was the real fear. Yeah, that was the real fear. Just the simple fact that up to that point, I didn't have any inkling of of. The, the deaf world of learning how to do sign language or anything like that. I wanted to try to be as normal as possible. Um, and so I just compensated, um, you, you know, you being deaf. And I, I just fought it tooth and nail. I, I wanted to be as hearing as possible. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I learned to compensate for it. It just in a, in this weird way, when someone calls me in the crowd, I will always turn to my left until I can find that voice. And then I'll be like, okay, that's where you're going. My friends always know I'm going to be standing on the right because there's no way I'm going to be able to hear you. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And then, um, so tell me, tell me, but you, uh, and it just also, I want, I want listeners to understand cool right now where you're at too, because, um, there's no, there's no apparent signs that you're hearing impaired whatsoever. No, not at all. How are you, oh, how are you thanks. hearing us now? What are the, um, you know, just so people know like where, where you're at in terms of resolution okay. right now. So right now, um, just when I started working at um, the current hospital I'm working at, I had to do an, another audiogram just to make sure my hearing is okay. It was able to go up to um, 25 decibels. Now, to give your listeners an idea, um, when we do audiograms and um, everyone is trying to kind of score where their hearing is at, the normal range of hearing is 0 to 20. So anyone with both sides of hearing, 0 to 20, um, on the decibel range. 20, 20 to maybe 35 is maybe mild hearing loss. And then anything above that is bordering on moderate to severe hearing loss. At my worst, I was at 83 decibels. It, we were in the territory of, should I get a cochlear implant? Um, Jeez. Now, when I did the testing for me to start working at the hospital I'm at, I'm at 23. And that's where I've been right now, 23 decibels on my left ear. And that's the only good hearing that I have. With the use of your, with the use of your um, hearing aids? With the hearing aids, I'm able to kind of, um, with the hearing aids, I use it in certain situations in the hospital. It's now not a thing I have to wear all the time. It's now just a tool. In certain situations, I'll wear it. But most of the time now, I don't wear my hearing aid. Wow. Um, I'm, able to get, I'm able to get by in situations with the decibel range, the 20 to 30. I've got some questions. I don't know if I should. I don't, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know where we're going. I don't know if we should stay chronological. We haven't talked about your, you know, what you do for work. But, you know, and to clue in the listeners at home to our little behind the scenes stuff you know before we interview people we generally have them fill out a questionnaire and get it back to us we've got to map out a little road map of you know where we're going to hit and one of the things you wrote i was telling Ro before the show i'm like i didn't even know this was a thing you said after getting your master's degree you became deaf in one ear and then you said from 2012 forward you began working to regain as much hearing as possible which i didn't know regaining hearing was even an option on the table and you said you were using such things as treatment, therapy, uh, noise, uh, noise conservation, which I didn't know what that was, and then diet and exercise. And I told her, I'm like, okay, diet and exercise. As if people don't think CrossFitters are crazy enough when we tell them all the wonders that CrossFit does, we're now going to say John had his hearing restored through doing Diane and Fran and Helen and, and eating clean food. So what, what did you mean when part of regaining your hearing is diet and exercise? Okay, okay. so how it ended up happening is um, when I lost my hearing, for that entire year we were going to a specialist um, to kind of see what we can do to kind of um, regain it to a functional level. Not okay. to the point where we had, I had no plans of ever getting to the point where I am right now. I didn't think that was going to be possible. I just wanted to get to a point where I can hear my parents' voice or at least function in a way that I can be in society. I may not be able to do it doing it as a social worker, but just enough to be a functional citizen. 
Um, and so we did, um, I went to Swedish and then we met with a specialist and did steroid injections directly into the ear just to try to kind of wake it up. And there's no way to, uh, there's no way to numb the ear. Oh, I they, had no they, idea that was a thing. That was, yeah, they, they would stick. Sounds like a they bad would, thing. It was a bad thing. They had a monitor. Um, they had a monitor to kind of show, okay, we're going to show you where we're going to enter it in the canal. I'm like, turn that thing off. Just, just let me know. Don't Ooh. show me. Just, I told them, tap my, tap my hand to let me know when you're about to do it. And so, yeah, they would, they would, I did that for about a year or two, just back and, off, back and forth. And, and um, Rory, you were kind of mentioning that your friend was kind of going through that similar situation of, of kind of the diagnosis. They initially told me it was a super rare autoimmune disorder that, that few people had. It had a long name that I cannot remember. Um, but the doctor was telling me that it's just more of a wait and see. We're going to go ahead and give you these steroid injections. Um, we're going to give you high doses of prednisone, which is like a high dose steroid, and just kind of wake up the ear a little bit, see what we can do to repair it. That wasn't the diagnosis. So I went through all of these things that that um, the steroids helped a little bit, but it kind of hindered myself as well. Um, and then when I went to UC, I went down to San Diego, went to UCSD, and then met with a doctor there. And the first question he asked was, did we ever get any blood tests done on you? I'm like, nope. <laughs> he goes, okay, let's go ahead and do that. Let's try something here. Um, we're going to take you off the prednisone. We're going to stop these steroid injections. Um, I want to see if it's, I have an inkling to what the diagnosis would be, but let's give it a go. So for the next month, low sodium diet, as much of a low sodium diet as possible. Hmm. So I did, I did the low sodium diet. My, my parents and I kind of researched it. And then my hearing kind of started slowly improving a little bit. It's like, okay, we're going to add a diuretic to that regimen. And then, um, uh, just to see if we can get the fluid out of your ears. And I want to see if, if, if this helps. If this does, I can honestly tell you what the diagnosis will, will be. So we go ahead and do that. And then after that, when, you know, after another... You'll, you'll follow any directions, right? You're like... I'll you're, follow any direction. I'm, I'm, I'm... Eat raw chicken and I'll eat it. Oh, no, yeah. I was, I was at that point. And then um, my hearing started to improve a little further. And then the doctor finally told me, you have cochlear hydrops Meniere's disease. So it's Meniere's... Um, um, say, that, say that real slow. Cochlear hydro, yeah, cochlear hydrops, okay. Meniere's disease. Meniere's, okay, and that's a name I assume. Yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's it's a different type of Meniere's. Um, it, basically, um, fluid would be building up in my. Uh, it's like a vestibular uh, disorder, but fluid would kind of build up in the middle of my ears. Huh. Um, and so what they would try to do is the diuretic was going to try to drain as much of the fluid away from my head. And then the low sodium diet, because with you know high doses of sodium, it kind of holds in water, and so just trying to drain that out, and then um, that was able to kind of control the hearing. But the doctor left that with a disclaimer, stating that there's no guarantee that you're going to keep your hearing. Um, you could very well lose your hearing again by the time you're 30, and I'm 31 now, so nice. I'm able to. Um, you know, and, nice. And so um, uh, after that, you know. We started the diet that started working a little bit, but then just with the stress of going to the doctors back and forth, my dad was telling me, try going for a run, just going for a run, just go for a jog, just clear your head. You need to take your mind off this for a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll worry about you and your career later. We'll, we'll worry about you and your health later. Just, just go for a run. And I would start doing that every, every so often, just a mile. Um, and then after that, a mile became two and then three. And then it started becoming a bonding moment between my father and I because growing up, his sole focus was, okay, what can we do to make sure John's safe and functional? But then that whole father-son bonding of interest, like, you know, for any father that has kids, you know, throwing the baseball in the backyard, that, those types of things, we never really had that because I never showed interest in what he did. Right. His was marathon running. My dad had run four marathons by this point. He was like, he's a stud when it comes to running. And, um, uh, it was now starting to build that bonding. It's like, okay, now do a 5K. So me and my uncles, we all did a 5K. Cool. Then it became a 10K, then a 15. And then it, it came to that point that um, out, of, out of a dare by my dad, do a marathon. And so I did. I did, I did, a, I did a, the LA Marathon in 2015. So. And you know, health and wellness being what it is, you also mentioned that running became kind of a therapy for yourself you said in a way it's it is. is it you don't notice your hearing or 
it's that it's that rare um some people call it a runner's high but for me when i'm running and i get to that point in the run where my mind just clicks off and it's um i've heard this from other runners where they say that it feels like it's tunnel vision and they don't hear anything in the world well it becomes the opposite for me i feel like for once i don't have to worry about my hearing because i can hear the entire world i can hear every horn my own heartbeat the steps that i'm taking as i run and it, it, it's that way for me to kind of de-stress and just kind of go into a different world. Yeah. And that's why, and that's why I love doing it. And it's, it's also, um, you know, my mom's a very Catholic spiritual woman and she always tells me that, you know, you need to find your way of having that conversation with God. She is very devout in going to a church and doing that. Mm-hmm. For me, when I'm on the road, that's my conversation of, okay, if you want me to be a social worker, I'll be a social worker. If you want me to do something else, just point me in the right direction. I'm just going to run in, until you tell me. And so that's, wow. that's why I use it a lot. So there's a whole lot of benefit to those runs. Big time. Oh, Big it's time. too bad you're just losing all your gains. <laughs> <laughs> but every CrossFitter says, totally, totally BS. No, I hey, I'm a huge fan of running myself, and I, I get what you're saying. I have some of my best quiet time with myself, some of my best just rolling around everything going on in my head when I just – go off and take off on a run it, it's absolutely fantastic so god that bless makes you guys but uh, i'm the opposite i'm like when I, well, I'll, I'll go run and i'll be like okay it could be worse i could be running right now no, no matter what i face the rest of my day <laughs> i did so should, so should roe versus boz have uh, running involved would that would yeah, that be I'll a kind what, of a motivator i tell you what if you put it if you put an assault bike in there or a rowing machine i'll chew it up but yeah run <laughs> you know, boz we don't want to get to real, but Boz is not a fan of the run either. Okay, okay. He's not, but he'll right. he'll grit it out. He'll 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 grit his teeth, and I would I would probably just sit down and let him have it. Um, so I I got to go back to some pragmatic stuff. Sure. Um, the first one being the uh, I'm a cancer survivor. Actually, I don't know if you knew that. Um, it was no, I didn't know. Wow. About six years passed, and uh, that doctor for me who really made the diagnosis and did did a in in their world a very simple surgery. Um, I picture him as like my savior, you know what I mean? So this dude who mm-hmm. like came after you'd been through years of misdiagnosis and you hadn't had a solution and you're like just grasping at straws basically. And then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, hey, let's take salt out of your diet and you can hear again. Do you have some sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah. is he on a pedestal? Um, you know, not putting my stuff onto you, but I'm just curious, like, does he, what was that like to find a solution? So I gave that dude a hug big time. No, um, <laughs> this, yeah, this, him finding the diagnosis was a godsend. It, it kind of put me in a, in a different direction. And him telling me just to change my diet and change my overall quality of life and then put me on this diuretic, um, it kind of spearheaded where I was headed towards um, just kind of the way that I live now. Um, but it's thinking back on it, going through all the previous specialists and so on and so forth, I was thinking that I was going to have this super complex big procedure that was going to be life, you know, life altering no matter what. And so I was preparing for that. And then, um, just getting to a doctor who broke things down so simply and told me to the point, okay, it's not going to be a complicated thing like a surgery or or a procedure or, or a new drug. It's just going to be simple, healthy diet, exercise, and taking a diuretic. That's it. And then, and and so like, okay, well, we'll just keep monitoring your, your hearing as it goes along. And so I credit that guy. And I'm glad it went the way that it did, that it's, it's simple. It was a simple solution, just an overall good quality of life. Yeah. And, yeah, and it uh, fixed everything else. It's funny. Um, the, uh, the, the kind of what, what Coach Glassman's on with uh, health and wellness these days, um, he's called mm-hmm. uh, CrossFit an elegant solution to the world's most vexing problem. And that's typically... Um, well, oh, agree. You know, that's that's basically what, yeah. like, what a lot of things come down to, unless we're talking about accidents or something extreme. In your case, mm-hmm. can be solved. Um, I want to get into the diet because Sherwood's, uh, you know, he's way into food. So I'd, I'd like to actually draw out what that looks like. But first, I got one actually very um, applicable question, which is the woman I mentioned earlier has that ringing in the ears. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I would jump off of a cliff. How did mm-hmm. you deal with that? Like, well, if you could go back and tell yourself, you know, if you knew now, then mm-hmm. now, what would you tell yourself in terms of like actually dealing with that constant ringing in your brain? Yeah. So for your friend with the ringing, I would just kind of tell her that uh, um, 
it's it's so easy to say out of you know out of sight out of mind but you know for me what i did was when i it was hard for me to sleep because i would hear it and so white noise would help and then um reading 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 a book to kind of put me in a different world that didn't involve that ringing so i mean it's there's no way around it it's just kind of tough to kind of deal with the ringing and um i mean dealing with it for for it lasting maybe a few minutes and it going away is one thing but when you have that 24 7 it just becomes mind-numbing and so yeah um fortunately it's just to deal with it is the answer <laughs> yeah just to deal with it i mean it's hope that there's an end I, I, so yeah, rugged man yeah i wish there was a, a easy way and and i mean as much as i say that dark edge it really oh, it was kind of like a dark time going through that depression and then having that ringing in your ear all the time 24 7 for months on end yeah and I, I tried everything, tried medication, tried um, different home remedies that I would look on the internet. I even tried apps that would say, oh, it's a white noise to block the tinnitus. Oh, wow. Made it work. You know, I, I did everything. And so That's it. it was just yeah. more of the tinnitus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I guess uh, if, if nothing else, the fact that I'm here speaking to you and you've got to have, yeah. you know, like there's, this is very helpful for people who either are going through or possibly will go through in the future, something similar. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know we, we got to get on to, because uh, I don't know if you knew this, but this is actually a CrossFit show. So we're going to get to CrossFit. Oh, really? yeah. <laughs> totally. CrossFit here shortly. Totally. I wonder um, how specific that doctor was with the diet. Was it literally just as low sodium as you can possibly do? Or did he say? He gave me, he gave me a sheet. Um, and just to preface this, at the time I was, because of the prednisone, I gained some weight. And then just to begin with, I just wasn't healthy or had any type of active lifestyle. So I weighed by that point two hundred thirty pounds, and um, I'm one ninety four. Wow. Okay. Nice. That's substantial. When I did the when I did the marathon, I um, weighed one seventy nine, and so um, yeah. But um, he gave me a sheet and then kind of a bunch of pamphlets on what a low sodium diet would look like, and so he said for me, I have to get just under two thousand milligrams of sodium a day. All right. Um, and then um, if, if, you can, if you can do it, 1,800 milligrams. And so I would just get a journal out, and I would go ahead and try to um, count as much as possible of the sodium that I had. So I knew that, oh, okay, so oatmeal, I know it doesn't, if I look in the nutrition box, it doesn't have sodium, so I'll go ahead and eat oatmeal, put bananas in it. Um, and then um, when I would go into lunch, my normal go-to would have always been top ramen. I didn't realize how much sodium was in that thing. And so when I looked at it, I was like, okay, I, I think I'm pretty healthy. It said um, 1,800 milligrams. I was like, but that box was two servings. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. Lifetime supply. So that has to kind of go away. And then um, uh, just kind of – in a great shape, though. Oh, that, that ramen, man, that makes it easy. <laughs> so good, yeah. Um but then by that point, uh, my wallet took hit after that because, you know, my family and I were looking through every single nutrition box, trying to count sure. and plan for as much as I could, taking out a few things. There was always this dish of yakisoba that we got from the Asian market um, that it would, that entire packet would serve three. But when my mom would cook it, she would cook it for me and I would eat that entire thing. And that was and just a normal occurrence. It was delicious. It was awesome. It was the best thing I've ever tasted. But it. <laughs> For three servings at 1,800 milligrams of sodium a pop, uh, that adds up. And that was just one sitting in the day. And sorry, and so, in a day we're trying to keep it under what back then? In a day, we're, we're trying to keep it under um, 1,800 to 2,000 milligrams a day. Okay. That one meal alone would last three days worth of the limit that I'm supposed to do. And then I would wow. eat that sucker like, like nothing. But yeah, question. just count. One of my best friends to this day, sorry, he, and he was uh, Japanese. And he had in in his dorm room one of the restaurant-sized um, shakers. Like it, it looked like it was made for like sugar or something, but it was all yeah, yeah. He literally had MSG in a container in his room that he would just shake on top of his food after it was already salted. <laughs> it's, MSG is the staple of every Asian household, I guarantee. <laughs> totally. And um, yeah, that had to go because you know now you know my mom being so concerned, she's like, oh, if it has MSGs or salt, she's not going to cook it, which yeah. got rid of the entire Filipino cookbook. Right, right. So, so just, I mean, just a cruel joke. It was, it was. I'm like, wait a second, I can't have chicken adobo anymore. You're gonna, you, 
you're gonna make it with brown sugar instead of salt like that's not you gonna take be my hearing and now my culture <laughs> yeah exactly at some and, point you know the beautiful thing about our community also though is that i guarantee you somebody on the internet has made a great recipe for that dish that does not have a bajillion milligrams of sodium if they have it, send it to me, please. <laughs> I mean, I want that meal back. They will. Uh, they will reach out. So needless. So needless to say, you had to make some significant dietary changes, but they, but they paid off. And then you continued like this. You said for a while until you actually found CrossFit through getting a little bit bored with running and a and a, a particular. I don't. I'm going to show my ignorance here. A TV program or a movie that I'd never heard of? Dude, Pat oh, Barber introduced me to this one. <laughs> well, you do tell everybody because I'm probably the yeah. only one who didn't know. It's called Arrow. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Arrow and Stephen Amell. So uh, I don't have the shout out game of your last guest, Gerald, but I mean shout out <laughs> to that guy. <laughs> so I, I was, um, so I was burnt out with doing the marathon. I mean. Uh-huh just the sheer volume of, of trying to get to 26.2 leading up to it. And then after I was just burnt out and just wanted to take a break for a while. And I was sitting at home one day and then just watching fight scenes. And then the training montage of, of Stephen Amell arrow from season one, let's break it down. which for any, yeah, yeah. Break it down because I'll, I'll, I'll give shout outs to arrow. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there was, um, arrow was the one show that, um, my parents and I would watch, but with subtitles. For that first year that I was deaf, that was the show that I was watching. And so I was just kind of recapping and going back to season one because I wanted to watch it again. And then I was just going to the scenes of of um, his training, doing a salmon ladder, all this uh, different type of training stuff. And I was looking at his you know, body shape and going, you know, one day I want to see if I could you know, get in that kind of shape. I want to see if I can do it and so on and so forth. Now, if you know on YouTube, it says recommended videos on the side. Yeah. Yeah, and then I somehow found that it was just scrolling through it while I'm watching um, the Arrow fight scenes that it showed the 24, um, 2015 highlights of the games. There and you go. And so I saw that video, and then um, I just saw the clip of it. I'm going, all right, that dude looks just as buff as Stephen Amell. Yeah. So what's going on here? And I bet you he, he could do it in Clicked more, on it. more so. Oh, big time, big time. And then, and so I was watching that video, and then um, the fact that I had my hearing back and I could hear the soundtrack with it was a big kick for me because that song was awesome. And um, so I saw all these individuals like running around, swimming, lifting big weights, looking buff as hell. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and was that the year? And, th- that was the year that the song was the "Get Low When the Whistle Blows," the Dylan Francis. Song? Yeah, "Get Low." And yeah. I always. I always enjoy listening to that song in the gym when I work out because I'm like, okay, I feel like one of these highlights, guys. Can I tell, nice. can I tell you an insider, uh, a funny story about that? Sure. You know, like, so I, I'm in the kind of, you can picture like the northeast corner of CrossFit headquarters. Yeah, yeah. Southeast corner, as you walk from, from my offices down to um, the kitchen rec room type area and towards yeah, yeah. the uh, information technology center. Uh, that's where you'll pass like Heber Cannon's office and, and uh, Marston Sawyer's office and they would keep their doors open and they're editing. So mm-hmm. everybody in the building, as soon as they'll hear get low when the whistle blows, they're just like, ah, I roll like, come on. Cause you hear it so many times, but now I'm back to just absolutely loving it. So Heber was the one that found that song or well, Dylan France is a very popular DJ. Like he's very famous, super famous. So the okay. song is actually like, you know, um, pop culturally well known, but, uh, yeah, they, they they were the ones that shows it or selected. Oh, they're okay. just known for they're just known for editing and reviewing their videos at 115 decibels in the hallway. <laughs> I won't I won't be going near that office. Okay. Everyone now knows what to do when the whistle blows. So that's that's the thing. okay. So was it just that simple? You you watch a video and you're like, hey, where's the local affiliate? No, I was watching a video and you know at the point I didn't think much of it, and then so I just kept watching more and more videos on on the CrossFit content. Okay. Mixing that in with Arrow every so often. So, I mean, for a little while, that was like the two things that I was watching. And I was going, there's no way I can go ahead and, and do this. And then, um, so it just ended up going to a point that I got a group on from a friend to go, hey, let's try out CrossFit. Okay. So I went to, um, and what, the nice thing about affiliates is they always offer like a free class 
just to get your feet wet into it wherever you go. And so right. I was just going around, going to different gyms and um, doing the free classes. And the first few was just intimidating because I'm seeing people do thrusters. And I was like, nope, uh, there, there's no way I can do it. And then um, I found CrossFit 704 in Charlotte. Just a shout out to those guys. Um, and I found... So, so just because we kind of sidetracked for a second, your hearing at this point was not corrected, right? So you're... It's intimidating to walk into a CrossFit gym, period. So you're walking in and you're, you're hearing but I was thinking problematic, right? So by that point, because of the running, my hearing has gotten back to a point where I'm hearing the hearing aid okay. all the time to function. Understood. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah. So I was, um, I had some of it back and to a point that I can still do my, go back to work and do a job as a social worker and then doing all the running. And then, so when I went into step into this CrossFit gym, it was intimidating because there's the loud music. They always play loud. Uh, music when you're in the middle of a workout and then these super buff people that were intimidating and um i was yeah i was like okay uh it takes some courage man to walk in there no joke yeah and the nicest people in the world you know coach phil abby yandel those three guys there they got me started on on crossfit and they were the ones that um you know those three kind of did the same thing that my parents did my entire life they held me back a little bit so they were like okay um we're going to go ahead and get you started on slowly doing things, scaling it down, which is, I love that approach about CrossFit. You can scale things down to a point where you're still doing the same intensity just as the next person who's going ahead and doing muscle ups. And, and let, let's um, just, let's just stop for public service announcements to make sure everyone heard that attention CrossFit community. It is possible to scale appropriately. Okay. Go ahead and continue, John. Okay. Yeah. So I, I did, um, uh, I, I did a bunch of workouts with them. Um, and they, it was humbling. It really was just because, I mean, this was the first time I've been hit with a very big physical feat. Could I actually complete a workout? Um, I, could, I know the running workouts, I could go ahead and do that. But then um, I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but there was a workout where we do 400 meter run, come back, and then you're supposed to do as many max pull-ups as possible. Oh yeah, Nicole. Nicole, yeah, that's right, Nicole. And then that and then doing it again. So um, that was one of the first few workouts that I did at 704. And I remember telling, I remember telling, <laughs> wait, there's running in this. Don't worry. I got the running. I'm okay. I can do this. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go do the running and then I get to the pull-up bar. And then that became the, the humbler right there. Cause in terms of, I've never done a pull-up. How am I going to do this? Like, okay, go to the ring rows. Forget even trying to approach that. And then it just became one of those workouts every so often that once I finally got to the point that I could do the 400-meter run, come back, and just do two pull-ups, I was happy. Like, two pull-ups there. Every so often, I would do two pull-ups, and then it would just kind of grow from there. That's a, that's so. a blessing in disguise, to be honest with you, because if somebody came in with the capacity to do pull-ups and they did a bajillion pull-ups for their first workout, that's a, mm -hmm. that's humbling in a Nicole. Yeah, yeah, it could possibly you know involve some time mm -hmm. on the couch with some ice, but uh, okay. Yeah. So, so you get into it, and uh, one of the things um, I know, one of the things that I really wanted to explore was uh, what you wrote to us before was certain environments give you trouble, and you mentioned I think earlier a Springsteen concert that gave you trouble. A CrossFit, oh. a CrossFit gym is like a um, sure loud place with dropping weights, loud music, lots of people talking. Um, mm -hmm. But you said that people accommodated your situation? They, yeah, they accommodated. So I, I told everyone from the get-go, listen, I have this hearing situation. I'm not able to hear too much. Um, and so they, they would play the music to a point where I told them, like, okay, it's okay. I, I can handle the workout. But it's not going to hurt my ears if you play the music. Just to make – I can accommodate them so they can still have the music and do the things they wanted to do. And then if we were – if someone was judging me or, or helping me out with a workout, they knew to always go to my left side – and then if I'm if I'm doing a thruster, and then they would tell me that okay, um, uh, you can go ahead and stop. They would yell. They would put hand signals in front. They would tap my shoulder, um, just to let me know okay, you can go to the next movement. Um, they helped in, the, in that regard. And so this gym, it's not a big super complex like like many great gyms are, but it was just a small rinky-dink garage um, in a in a warehouse district. And That's it all was it a, takes, it was man. A, it was a small little community, and it was great. The, the, the friends that I have there, um, it, it built, you know, it built that outlet for me of okay, I can actually socialize now. I don't have to be afraid of going into 
a club anymore because, you know, or go into a bar to try to meet people because um, I don't have to put myself to that noise or um, going, you know, just going into a coffee shop to talk with a friend. That is the most frustrating thing in the world for me, just because there's so much ambient noise around just trying to read someone's lips for an hour and then and try to act like I'm, I'm listening to them. It, it's it takes so much mental work because I have to physically, mentally concentrate on another person's voice. So if it's one on one, if it's one on one like this, I'm speaking to you guys in in an environment like this. I'm okay. I can hear it. It'll be fine. But put me in a coffee shop or a bar where I have to speak to someone else, and there's like a million other people hearing it or not. It's going to be mentally taxing. So I'm so glad you touched on that, and I I would like to ask you if you're comfortable with it, just to spend a little bit more time on it because it was just one sentence in the last fifteen you said, and you could lose it, which was basically the power of the CrossFit community. You know, you said your life potentially because of what you've dealt with, um, going out in public, having conversations, interacting was something which maybe was more stressful than it was fun. And human beings are social creatures. If you rob somebody of their support network, of their community, you're taking, you're taking a lot from them. So people don't understand. You just don't go and get physically fit in a CrossFit gym. There's a lot more that happened. So how was that reintroduction to a community that you'd been missing for so long? Yeah, um, it was, it was a very big eye-opening experience for me. And it was one that I, I'm so grateful for because the CrossFit community, it was open arms. Um, I heard a saying for, for people who are in, in the kind of the deaf community, when you see another deaf person, instant friends, because you're just part of that world. I, the same thing applies to the CrossFit community. If if I'm traveling on the road and I go into an affiliate and, and kind of meet someone else and their fellow CrossFitters, it, it's everyone's so welcoming and everyone's so accommodating and it's just inspiring. I, I enjoy that. So it was to a point that after a while, I, I got to know the people at 704 that they're like, hey, John, we're going to have a Halloween party. Why don't you come along? Or we're going to go for a hike. Let's go ahead and do this. And we're we're planning on doing fantasy football. Let's go ahead and do this. And it was they were so welcoming about it, and I, you know, I was I was very thankful for that because I was going, I've missed out my entire adult life on this kind of friendship, on that type of camaraderie, just because I was just trying to avoid and getting stressed out with certain situations that I was like, okay, this is it. This um, I'm not going to stop CrossFit just because, um, if anything, besides getting fit, I'm making lasting friendships. Yeah, and having that that social outlet. So and, and uh, <clears throat> normal hearing or completely hearing impaired, benign hepatonia or the most able athlete that's ever walked through the door. A lot of adults yeah. don't have those kind of friendships where they're not just going to go sit on their butts together and watch TV or watch a ball game or whatever. Like where you mm -hmm. you're doing healthy things with people who are making better choices around the dinner table typically and that's you know like we all enjoy our cheat days and you've seen pat's pretty prolific with ice cream and such but like on the north <laughs> these are friendships where you can like it's cool to be able to go out socially and not feel like a freak because i don't want to eat you know x mm -hmm. y or z or like right. stuff my face with sugar so um that's just yeah. because um as pat made fun of me earlier uh before we were on the phone i just when we get to the community aspect i just can't shut my mouth <laughs> i like to uh, i like to bring the back yeah. pretty hard yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, much credit to them. And then it was, I'm now at Slate CrossFit here in Seattle. And as soon as I moved here, again, the owners were very nice. They've become friends. Um, the community there, it's a much bigger box. But again, it's very welcoming. It's its very family oriented where we're at. And so um, it's become fun. And I'm able to, when I go to work, um, able to make an impact on people's lives in that manner but you know have kind of the hard work and the stress that goes along with it when i need to unwind and kind of get away rather than go to a bar and and cut back a few i'd rather go to my crossfit box and then instantly go in high five everyone and just hit the workout and just talk afterwards and just laugh and have so much fun yeah. and and that's that's my escape that's my happy place and and i kind of um I kind of feel like any CrossFit box that I go into is a safe haven for me. So that's cool. Um, that's, yeah. that's really good. You, uh, because of the, you, you assume that they've got certain uh, characteristic traits, like uh, personality traits that are going to be kind to you. Or what do you mean by that? Like, why is it a safe haven? Um, 
environment-wise, it's, it's one of the few places that I can handle where I don't have to stress out about my hearing. I, and, and so that's one place. But then also, going back to the personality traits, um, I don't know what it is. It's just hard to put my finger on. But with every single CrossFitter that I've ever met, there's just the, that inherent kindness that just kind of oozes off them that, that you just want to be around and kind of hang out with. And you know, that whole philosophy of even if you're the last person on the floor, everyone is still going to be around supporting you. And so, yeah, that's yeah, that's just CrossFit, man. It's just pe people who who are there just to kind of be that support and, and be that backup. I'm absolutely awesome. It is awesome. Um, it is awesome. And it's true, and I could I could again like uh, not no joke at all. Just beat that drum all day. I want to talk about mm -hmm. your work because um, this was another thing that was funny. Like as soon as we got your email, um, <laughs> it's either mm -hmm. me or Pat. One of the two of us is like, "What? What is a medical social worker? Like, what does that? What does that even do?" And it seems mm -hmm. your um, uh, just like you. You know, you're giving like big shout outs to your CrossFit coaches who do. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're part therapist, part trainer, part dietitian, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm imagining that your job is the same. Right. You're really giving it back. And you said you, you said it gives you the opportunity to pay it forward. But I would love to hear about your job and how it allows you to take these experiences you've been through since you were a baby and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, help other people heal. So um, I'm sure if anyone's ever watched TV and you see all these medical shows and so on and so forth, um, they'll always. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Of course, um, but you'll you'll see social workers now. If people who don't know what what social workers do, they'll see them on TV and it's like, oh, they're the people that are taking the babies away from homes or anything like that. But it's, it's it it goes beyond that. Um, social workers are advocates. That's what we do. We're here to in any community, whether it's corrections, whether it's working in the medical field where I am, we advocate for patients in a way that helps ensure their quality of life in any scenario. My world just happens to be in the kidney world, specifically in the transplant realm. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so um, I work at Virginia Mason Medical Center as a, a transplant social worker, and um, I'm, part, I'm just a small part of a big team that tries to help people get kidney or pancreas transplants to give them that second lease on life, whether it's dealing with kidney disease. Um, so uh, what I do is it, I focus on the psychosocial in terms of anything mental health, anything emotional support, crisis intervention. And then on top of that, more in terms of being an advocate. If they need a place to stay, where can we help them send to? If they need to think about, you know, um, if they need to think about what's the plan going to be. Because for anyone with any illness, I wish there was a way that we can just pause their life so we can focus on this health issue first. But what ends up happening is you're dealt with a, a, physical, a, a medical ailment and the rest of your life still has to go. You still have to worry about paying the bills. You, have, you still have to think about raising your kids, going to school, or you know, having a roof over your head. Yeah. And so part of what I do is help problem solve to feel like, what can we do to help stabilize this and then move forward towards a transplant? Jeez, you must see people in some rugged, low, low points in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of the everyday. We... Um, we assess patients to see if um, they're candidates for a transplant. And if there are some parts that say no uh, to a certain aspect, whether it's medical, financial, social, then we all work as a team to figure out how can we turn this into a yes and help them get that second lease on life and make the most of that kidney for the rest of their lives. It's all, so, all heavy, right? And I assume that no yeah. one comes for a kidney transplant who's having the best day of their life. No. No, it's it's all kind of people that are in very grave situations. Yeah, and and so are you, are you able to um, obviously there's HIPAA laws and stuff. I'm looking for yeah. names or specifics or anything like that. But can you give like a couple for examples or one ex for example? Like I've dealt with someone who is a mom of seven and she had a car accident and she mm -hmm. had a kidney transplant. Oh, that's a yeah yeah that's that's a. Because I don't want to get into a point where I'm just any basic information people can simply try to discern from themselves. Yeah. Oh, well, right. we know that. Yeah, yeah. But then so, what if we, did, what if we didn't people, use these are people who are in trouble? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we we don't need to use their names, right? I mean, we could just use their social security number. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, just My friend just Matt to give would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of give a, a general um, idea, so. 
everyone knows, you know, everyone hears all these great charities about cancer research, leukemia, and all this other stuff, but not a lot of people hear about kidney disease. And then the people that do kind of enter that kidney world, they kind of hear, okay, there's, there's three routes you can take. We can go the dialysis route and kind of um, utilize that as a way to help our kidneys function. Or we can go the transplant route where, you know, we unlist, kind of change our quality of life to kind of get there. And then once we get there, work to keep it functional for the rest of their lives. And then there's that third route, and it's the route that I hope no one ever takes as a social worker is I'm not going to do both. I'm just going to spend the rest of my days until, until this thing gets me. Mm. And, and, yeah, so that's that. That's um, positive in my work as a social worker of, of trying to advocate for them of whether it's dialysis or whether it's, it's the long haul of waiting for a transplant, you, you can still live a good quality of life. I want you guys going to travel to your family in Spain or, or um, going to your kid's soccer game and not having to worry about your schedule for dialysis or coming in for an, an assessment with us. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm always a big proponent of that. There's got to be through all that stress and trauma and i'm sure paperwork and uh, email chains and legalities Mm -hmm. in the situations when it does pay off and you literally save somebody's life or play a role in reversing their quality of life and improving it greatly it's got to be a feeling you know unlike anything that i've ever experienced our our transplant team look for the, you know, the win of, of helping a patient. For me as a social worker, when I'm able to do rounds in the morning and see a patient get their transplant and, and okay, this is it. I can go ahead and do the things that I want to do after I recover. I can finally go ahead and, and travel. I can finally be, be a mother to my children and be active in my children's life and not have that fear of my family losing me. That That's always you know, a positive and a win. And that's the thing that I, I believe drives every single person on our transplant team from the the nephrologists to the surgeons to the nurses. Wow. Wow. Hey, I mean, social workers are probably some of the unsung heroes in the world. So mm-hmm. genuinely, thank you for being out there and just grinding every day for people that need an advocate. Yeah, yeah thanks, man. I saw, I saw a note that said um, you would love to find a way to tie into the CrossFit community what you do professionally and, and what you gained. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have yeah. an idea of what that looks like? Because it seems like you're in a great place, man. I'm really, I'm, this is an awesome, happy ending story. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks. So I'd love to see if that has coalesced in your mind. Do you know what that looks like? Yeah, so when I started CrossFit, um, it was because I was burnt out from running. And so um, by no means do I have any aspirations to be an elite athlete or anything like that. But um, what I had in my mind was when I did my first marathon, I did it as a charity runner for the National Kidney Foundation. So that was my first foray of trying to tie the two things that I'm passionate about, people in in the kidney world. Um, And then I'm passionate about health and fitness now with running. And so I combined the both doing that. So with the CrossFit community, because I'm I'm so thankful for this world that um, uh, I want to see about doing another marathon, but this time on behalf of CrossFit under that banner in whatever capacity that CrossFit HQ is able to have me of do another marathon, try to raise awareness for how wealth and um, health and fitness can kind of be impactful on any aspect of quality of life, whether it's the kidney world, transplant world that I work at, or just the general everyday for that person who wants to lose weight and get healthy and find that social outlet again. Very cool. So, yeah. Wow. Yes. Awesome. Excuse me. Uh, um, Along the lines of uh, some things that, you know, the CrossFit Foundation has been involved with um, in past years. I don't, do you see Dave Castro? We've we've got a Mm -hmm. deal where Ragnar relay races are now having a CrossFit division. Like you can race and measure yourself against other CrossFitters, not just other runners, which I thought, so maybe you can incorporate it somehow in that way. Um, Yeah. If if I can get a team, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I saw Dave Castro on his Instagram kind of grabbing team members. Like, yeah, there's no way if I said I'd be on your team that he, 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 he got Dan Bailey. That guy can run. So uh, <laughs> Velner might not be. You never team, know. But I'm sure you got. Yeah. I'm sure you got some great people from CrossFit 704. Um, yeah. As we kind of approach the end of this, I'm curious, and mm-hmm. and part of this is selfish because I I have someone who's like in the fire right now, and you as somebody who's walked through the fire um, has yeah. the gift of perspective. I wonder what you would tell yourself 
you know, at the at the most difficult time or, or at the, the time of diagnosis. Because you, the things that I've heard you say time and again and that you wrote down were, it was a lot of it was about identity and a lot of, the, yeah. a lot of it was about fear. So if you could go back, mm-hmm. you could give yourself maybe one or two or three things, pointers to say, hey, um, look, it's all going to be okay in terms of fear and identity. What, what would your advice be to yourself? So to myself at my, at my lowest point is um, if, I, if I could go back and just talk to myself, I would say find your worth as a person without your ailments. Because my whole focus has always been, okay, I'm a person that's about to lose my hearing. But I, didn't, I couldn't honestly look in the mirror and say, who is Jonathan Canizzato with without all of that? And so um, kind of find your own capital of, of what you can still contribute. So if I, if I lost my hearing and I couldn't function as a social worker, I, you know, I would have to kind of write down a list of what my strengths that I still have that I could be able to put in a way to kind of still function and contribute to a society. And so if I wasn't a social worker, hands down, I'd be a, a medical transcriber or, or anything else where I can function without my hearing and still be able to give that small tidbit to the medical community, even though I'm not able to have that person-person interaction. So, I mean, for your friend that's going through all of this right now and kind of that um, concern of what their quality of life can look like, write down a list of, of the things that you have that are the positives in your life and kind of gather all those strengths and shake it up and kind of figure out how can I take these things and move forward in a different way, but still have that quality of life and s- still be able to say all these things that I've written down and, and um, come up to move forward is still at the very core who I am. And you can say in the mirror, that's that person. So, I mean, for anyone who, whether it's hearing loss, going through any major illness, going through, uh, going through, you know, a loss of a limb or anything else, take all the things that identify you as a person that your family loves and holds dear about you again, shake it up. And then just kind of be able to kind of write down, okay, how can I still be myself and do the do these things that I'm good at differently? Yeah. So excellent, excellent advice. Can I, yep. can I overstep my bounds just a little bit and offer you some unsolicited, just the thought that popped into my head as you're talking about bringing together your world with the CrossFit world and maybe yeah, noodle um, some ways that you could help educate people with total hearing on mm-hmm. how to either coach or incorporate someone with, uh, who's hearing impaired into a CrossFit affiliate or you know, maybe it even like down the road could be an online course or something for trainers who, of course, want to reach and, and help as many people as possible. But are, sure. they're not going to go learn American Sign Language. They're not going to mm-hmm. right, change their entire approach. But some, some little tips and tidbits that could help them understand better how to, um, how to effectively coach and connect with someone who's hearing impaired. It could yeah, start yeah. as a CrossFit Journal article, quite frankly. It'd be a great article. Awesome. Yeah, I'm happy to, and Pat, too, I'm sure, happy to help, uh, help in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we'll work together on it. We know people. We know awesome. people. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And then- um, I am inspired by you. I'm, I'm really uplifted by this conversation. I love, I love this podcast because we get to connect with people like you and hear some really, really cool mm-hmm. and unique stories. So um, thank you so much, man, for coming on and sharing yeah, your story. Yeah, John. Appreciate it, brother. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, we'll look forward to following back up with you, and we'll see uh, we'll see what kind of progress you made in about six months or a year. Awesome. That'd be great. Okay, be great. great. Thanks, man. Talk thanks. to you later. Hey, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. As always, hit us up at patandrowshow at CrossFit.com if you have questions, concerns, comments, or hopefully amazing compliments amazing ideas for future guests. See you guys out on the interwebs.